What You Need to Know is brought to you by Morongo Casino Resort and Spa. Good times. Less than 90 minutes from wherever you are. Linz, what do you got? So Jack in the Box is currently offering three flavors of boba tea for a limited time in selected locations in California. Can I take a quick 20-second time out here? I love the Snoop Dogg Jack in the Box commercials, by the way. What up, Miach? I haven't seen them. <laughs> oh, my God. They're it's good. great. Let me just, quick explanation. So they have like munchie boxes, just like, you know, how McDonald's has these celebrity yeah. meals. So Jack in the Box doing the munchie box. Obviously, Snoop Dogg is their guy. So... They bring him in and they're like, hey, you know, Jack in his Jack helmet or whatever, like the guy is like introducing Snoop Dogg. And he's like, hey, man, your munchie box, blah, blah, blah. He's like, we've even given you an intern. And he's like, his name is Mitch. And then he goes, what up, Miach? <laughs> I guess you kind of have to see it. Oh, come on. You don't get it. <laughs> I get it. Of course we get it. You know, it's not funny. good. I thought it was It's funny. funnier. I pro- I'm sure. You got to watch Dogg it. Does. I got to watch. I'll watch it. I'll take your advice. I'll look it up on YouTube. I mean, jeez. <laughs> Tough crowd, tough crowd. Seriously. Is this thing on? <laughs> All right, so uh, Jack in the Box. Uh, so three Boba. cities. Uh, I, I mean, no, gross. Boba and Jack in the Box is not what I'm yeah. going for. <laughs> My daughter is here today with me. She's in a different room. When Lindsay brought up the Boba Jack in the Box, I saw her over in the other room instantly perk up. Well, kids love Boba. She loves Teens, Boba. Gen Wait, would you buy it at Jack, Jack in the Box? Uh, oh, well, she's shaking her head. San, San Diego, Long Beach, and Torrance all have stores that are currently undergoing a test run. Oh, um, in the, Torrance, I'll check it out. I'll see. I, I'll go and I'll I'll I'll, I'll like uh, video it for yeah, the community. Yeah, do a taste test. Um, and for those who don't know, boba tea or bubble tea is a tea-based drink made with milk or fruit and accompanied with chewy tapioca pearls. The drink originated in Taiwan in the early 1980s. Jack in the Box's boba tea flavors include iced coffee with boba, milk tea with boba, and vanilla shake with boba. Mm. I feel like I would try it. She's still looking unimpressed right now. Like, yeah, I was, I was gonna say like I love boba and I'm a huge like I like to find like the mom and pop stuff, and they seem to be a little bit more quote unquote authentic, whatever. But when I saw this story and I I actually tweeted about it like a few days ago, and everybody's consensus was like, Bleh. but like, why though? They're tapioca it. pearls. Like, isn't it one of those things where it's like, like no, what's, but you, what's the difference? No, you can tell like. If you're if you're a big boba drinker, because you'll know how long they've been sitting there, because they're like harder, not they're as not as soft. soft. Yeah, there's it, some snobby boba. Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. Yeah, I, it's you okay. Pay, you know, you you pay good money for that boba. Oh no, let me tell you something. At some places, it's, it's very expensive. Yes. So you know, and and you know what you're gonna get with like a jack. I'm not gonna. I'm not saying it's not good because I haven't just, tried but it. But it's not but gonna be the same as going to a traditional boba no, place. Yes. No, because even if, when you go to like the the chains, right? Like it's boba time. They're all different. Right. Yeah. Even though it's the same Agreed. chain, you yeah. know. Yeah, I agree. We're we're in it's boba time. So family. Torrance, oh yeah, or quickly. Torrance, Long Beach, and what was the other one? Uh, San Diego. Oh, Cappy oh. gotta go. Oh, Ooh, Tu and Torrency, Cappy in, in South, 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 oh South LA. God. Yeah. He'll be like, hmm. <laughs> it's not bad. <laughs> anyway, that is what you need to know. Brought to you by Morongo Casino Resort and Spa. Good times. Less than 90 minutes from wherever really you are. Interesting creature, that Cappy. Oh, you're telling me. So, terrible story about Lonzo Ball came out yesterday. I know. So, uh, Arturus Carsonovis, is that how you say his name? I think. The Chicago Bulls general yes. manager? Uh, who used to be with the Denver Nuggets for many years. Um, he said that the expectation is that Lonzo is not going to play again this year. Upcoming season. I mean, this is starting to feel like his career is over. Yeah. 
or maybe there will be fits and spurts, but as a functional NBA day-to-day player, that his career's over. And it sucks because he was really coming into his own. Like yeah. his last year in New Orleans, he was starting to shoot the ball well. And then with Chicago at the beginning, it was good. And, you know, he was good defender. He was everything you expected him to be for the most part, right? Like he was a... a well above average starter is what I would call him Absolutely. in the NBA. Like, uh, you know, borderline, maybe even potential all-star caliber type player trending in that direction. He was an excellent passer, yeah. excellent court vision, great yeah. hit aheads, and he had all NBA, all defense potential. Yes, yes. And it's funny, when, it, when we were talking about this, George, before now, it, it made me think about the way Lonzo is going to be perceived if his career ends. People are going to call him a bust. They're going to call him a bust. And I think so much of that, honestly, is because of LeVar and all the hype leading up to it. And for reasons that really were not Lonzo's fault at all, it created a lot of resentment and derision towards Lonzo. You had a lot of people disliking Lonzo because of his dad. right? And because of that, I think you're going to have a lot of people wanting to pile on Lonzo or even taking some degree of pleasure from this or seeing him more as a bust as opposed to guy whose body betrayed him. So I look at it differently. Um, I don't look at it, the LeVar part of it, because of that. I look at it because of the shoe situation. There was somebody, I forgot who it was, wrote a story about how Lonzo used to have to change those shoes almost every quarter. Yep. Um, because they were not capable of handling the load that they needed to have to play in an NBA game. Um, And when you're talking about somebody who has lower extremity injuries consistently and an injury where now even like the doctors are like, I, we think we may have gotten it. We don't know how bad it is. Um, And here's another thing that people don't talk enough about. And, you know, I got to be a little careful in this one, but the Chicago Bulls have a terrible history with their medical and training staff, okay? As do, by the way, the Pelicans. Right. Where he was before, and honestly, the Lakers for a little while had a reputation as not being good at this. But the Chicago Bulls, you may remember, almost killed Luol Deng. Yep. Okay? He had a spinal tap and was leaking spinal fluid, okay? And had to be sent to, like, the emergency room, if I recall correctly. Um, So they've always had kind of issues there, so, yeah, he's been in a couple of places at times where that stuff hasn't helped either. No, I mean, there's just, there's been a Confluence lot. Confluence of stuff. Yeah, there's been a lot along the way. And you mentioned Lonzo's improvement shooting. Like, I remember I used to do our pregame coverage for, you know, for Laker games back during the kids period. And I would see Lonzo warming up. And the point where I knew, like, okay, this guy's shot needs to be fixed You've seen enough pregame warmups. These guys hit everything. Mm-hmm. Like they will, they'll go on rolls. Like guys who aren't even three point shooters will go on rolls where they hit 10, 15 in a row. Guys who don't even take threes during, like Dwight yeah. Howard right. would hit these kind of shots. And they're unguarded. Lonzo was missing regularly. And I would watch him, his form, his release, different every shot. His legs would be flying all over the place. I'd be watching him like, oh my God. I don't even know how you fix this. Right. You know, obviously New Orleans helped, Chicago helped, but he had to put in the work to fix all of this. Right. He turned himself into a really good outside shooter. It sucks to see all that work possibly be 
done. He, what was he like? Thirty-seven, thirty-eight percent by the end. Yeah, I yeah. mean, he turned himself into a, on threes. Yeah, yeah, a good three-point shooter. Yeah, he did. And he also seemed like someone. Which, that, by the way, he already had. Not that he was like a great finisher, but at least he's actually a bad finisher. Right, but but it gave you an opportunity for him to get by a guy and then set someone else for an easy bucket. Yeah. You know? And in the meantime, he seemed like somebody that would be so much fun to play with. Oh my God. In the same way, LaMelo seems like he'd well, be a lot of we, fun to play with. We looked at him as kind of like another Jason Kidd type. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Except Lonzo was a much better f- defender than LaMelo. Right. I mean, it just, it just sucks to see. It really sucks to yeah, see. Yeah. Cause he's a winning type of player. Yeah. Like his skill set now. Yeah. Or most recently when he played. And I mean, I, I did not get to know Lonzo particularly well when he was with the Lakers because he was, for a lot of reasons, I think very guarded yeah. and you know very inward. Yeah. But he seemed like a good guy. He came in studio with me and Key and LZ and his dad one time. Um, and maybe LaMelo was in here too now that I think about it. Maybe all three of them were in here. I don't remember. But LeVar obviously... Did know. all the talking. Well, and remember, we were the first show that I know. put LeVar on. I know. I, uh, it was uh, it was very controversial at the time. Yeah, when we I mean, did it. Look, I I I was transparent then. I'll be transparent now. I didn't like what Lavar was doing because I felt like he was actually hurting his kids in the process. Yeah, but I, again, I I I mean, slight. I just disagree a little bit. Like, I don't think that was actually the thing. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think the the shoe thing to me. You know, based on those stories, because I didn't see this firsthand, that to me is what ended up becoming the bigger issue, particularly with Lonzo. Lamelo, I don't believe ever wore the shoes, so it doesn't really matter. I'm not it, sure. like, he's had other injuries. Yeah, I mean the the big um, baller brand. By the time Lamelo was really, coming, it, was it was done. Like, yeah. Well, and you know, I mean, I, I want to say that Lamelo's agent, I think, was Aaron Mintz, uh, or is one of these big time agents. So it just he was handled completely different. You know what I mean? Yeah. Than, than Lonzo was. Yeah, it just, it really, I, it sucks to see. Like, Lonzo was a fun player to watch. And, yeah. like, like, to see yourself also, too, like, somebody who, in Lonzo's case, has literally been, like, born and bred to do this. Like, before you even turn 30, I mean, is Lonzo even 25? Like, all of a sudden feeling like, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, I just remembered that. I looked it up now. I, I he, he switched to Rich Paul a couple years ago. I, I, that was recent. Yeah. Yeah. But like the position Lonzo would be in where all of a sudden it's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And by the way, the Bulls thought that they would have this combination of Lonzo, Levine and DeMar, right? Like they thought that were and Vucevic, right? Like they, they thought that was going to be like their squad that can propel them. You know what I mean? And Vucevic has not been as good a player. But by the way, Vucevic would probably be a much better player if Lonzo was on the floor. Absolutely. Lonzo is one of those guys, it sounds like a cliche, but can make everybody better Yeah, because that's all he cares about doing. Yeah. It's just putting you in a position to shine. He's just going to take the open shot when it's there, but for the most part, right, he's going to create for others in a big, big way. And I'm looking this up now. He's not even 26. So So it's like if if, if he can't play basketball anymore... That's terrible, man. Like, I'm not saying he can't do anything else, but... There's got to be a feeling for him, like, really, what am I going to do? This- well, it's got to be incredibly frustrating. Yeah. Because when was the last time he played? He didn't play this year, right? Nope. And he's not going to play next year. He missed most of the 21-22 season. The most games he's ever played was the the 2020 season, 63 games. Right. That's the most he's ever played. Right. And that was the COVID year, 1920? Yeah. Uh, yeah. COVID year, 1920. Right. That's just crazy. Yeah. I saw him in Chicago in 2021 at the end. Right. He was great. Yeah. I he mean, was good when he was on the floor. 
Him and DeRozan. Oh his my last God. year in New Orleans and his when he played in Chicago, he was really good. Yeah, I mean the last. I'm looking right now. His last three years in the NBA, 38 percent from three on six per game. 38% on eight per game, and then 42% on seven per game. Like, that's legit volume shooting. Like, that's putting up a lot of threes and making them. And again, that's so much improvement for him. Because early on, his shot was so jacked early. Oh, my in God, his- it was crazy. I mean, like, you're watching that going, I don't even know what that is. I remember that was actually a big point of contention on the morning show where I was like, they're going to have to change his shot. And Key would, and Key and LZ would be like, no, no, they, he makes them, man. He Whatever works for him, works for him. I'm like, no way in hell. They no. are absolutely going to change I'm telling you, shot. when I watched him pregame, missing all of these unguarded threes. I was like, yeah. I've never seen that before. Yeah. By the way, LZ was here yesterday. I heard I from Travis and Sleep. I know. I, I'm going to text him. I'm going to be like, you came in on draft day and didn't even say hello? I didn't I mean, realize uh, he talked about this on air. He moved to Texas. Oh, yeah, I knew. Oh, yeah. I had lunch with him out there. Yeah. I did not realize that. I was there for the Alamo Bowl. I was doing it for ESPN Radio. And uh, we had lunch. Yeah, that's great. I love LZ. I've known LZ forever. He's an yeah. awesome dude. Uh, coming up next... So LZ and Lonzo, both great dudes. We wish them both the best, obviously. Uh, Coming up next, no football talk. One Rams coach, Sean McVay, may have a new venture coming up, and it's not bearing a child with his uh, lovely wife, Veronica. We'll tell you what that's all about in a second. Stick around. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any 8-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature 8-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. 710 ESPN. I mean, I had to go back. But not just because we were talking about, I think Lindsay brought this song up. Yeah. But I have like a thing with, I have car play in the car. And I tend to have like concerts in my car or I pretend that I could sing. <laughs> right? just, I'm just being real because I'm stuck in traffic a lot. The worst thing, and this is first world problems, I know, is when you get a text message or your GPS interrupts the song because it says crash reported ahead or whatever. I hate that. I feel like it takes me out of my groove. And I was listening to this song earlier and I know this entire like rap part and I was like on a flow and then the stupid thing goes crash reported ahead. I was like, damn. So anyways, first world problems, but yeah, yeah. I hear you. It's a good song. What's What year was this song? I don't know. This feels like, to me... Definitely 2000s, like yeah, early. Yeah, early 2000s, mid. like either right after the J-Lo era of Diddy or like yeah, around... I had to like, or, or around, yeah, I know because the cursing comes. Um, no, it came. I had a dump. Oh. 
Damn, I wasn't paying attention. That's totally I thought key. I heard that. I yeah, like, totally dumb hmm. that. Totally dumb that. Yeah, you got it. Yeah, yeah, I got it. I got um, it. Yeah, I feel like it was just around. It was, the, it was after J Lo because at, he. Yeah, the end. Yeah, he uh, dedicated that song to her. He oh. was telling her like, I, you know, I, I wanted a girl a, to mm-hmm. ride, ride, ride. So it was post J Lo breakup. Mm. That song was for her. Jenny from the block. Mm-hmm. There was like a lookalike J Lo in that video too. Oh really? Yeah, y'all didn't see that? Oh, I, I don't remember like, the video. I don't re- I've never y'all, seen this video. I mean, this was like when I was growing up. I, yeah, I don't remember. I don't know why video. I remember all these dumb things that I shouldn't remember. It's okay. But, you know. That's yeah, there's what... a lookalike in there. Mm, okay. Um, so I mentioned a second ago that uh, one Rams head coach, Sean McVay, is going to be taking on a new venture. And we all know he's uh, his wife is expecting, which is cool. Congrats to them. But he's going to be doing a podcast series, right, Linz? Is that what he's up to? Well, he's featured in like a series that they're doing for the the Athletic. And what is it about? Do we know? Like, do it's, it says that the five episode podcast series explores the origins of the Mike Shanahan coaching tree, of which Sean McVay is one of the key branches. It. So it's funny you say that because the Mike Shanahan coaching tree is basically everybody who's a head coach now. In a lot of ways. You know, people talk about the McVeigh tree or whatever, but all these guys really started with Mike Shanahan either in Denver or Washington, really. There's like a Washington, after he left the Broncos where he went to Washington, there's one of these like coaches photos and you could like see Sean McVeigh, Zach Taylor, uh, Mike McDaniel, obviously Kyle Shanahan. Like there's like five or six guys in there that were basically one step above being the get back guy <laughs> quality control or whatever and they are all head coaches now it's crazy yeah it's actually going to be narr- i'm assuming narrated written overseen by jordan rodrigue who covers the rams yep. exceptionally well mm-hmm. for the athletics so i think this is going to be really really good i'm a- i'm excited for jordan because she's awesome yeah she's great at her but job but yeah. i think this is going to be really really good she knows she knows McVeigh very well. Yeah. And I guarantee she's Sean done the is homework. very open. Sean is a very I love talking to Sean. I you know, I was very disappointed we didn't get to talk to Sean last year. I know it was a tough year. Um, but that, you know, you make the correlation. He didn't talk to us last year. They had a rough year. You know what I'm saying? Maybe that's part of it. So <laughs> I'm just saying. Sean. But he did talk I'm gonna to bring Mason that up Ireland. when we do yep. talk to him. You that's know what I'm point. saying? So we probably will see him at camp and just be like, yo, bro, what's up? Start, you want to start the relationship and you're winning let's up get, again Let's or not? get back. You know what I'm saying? Let's get back to the love. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think this will be really, really interesting. And just also, too, just like how a tree works, like who is successful from a tree. You know, there's there's going to be egos. Are there rotten involved. branches? Well, there's going to be rotten branches. There will be egos. You know, one of the things yeah. when Sean McVay first got hired, yeah, one of the things that really impressed me about him was that he was secure enough to hire Bum Phillips as... Uh, no, Wade Phillips. Wade Phillips, yeah, excuse me. Bum's son. Bum's the, Bum's the father. But <laughs> yeah. uh, Wade Phillips, that would have been, yeah. been quite a hire. Yeah. But uh, he hired Wade Phillips as his defensive coordinator, which a lot of coaches wouldn't do because they would be worried about Wade Phillips as the guy who would replace them if they got canned because Wade Phillips is the type of guy who will always be seen as a potential replacement. Like Jeff Fisher, one of the, I think, rightful criticisms of him was his staffs were lousy. And I think he was worried about having guys who could potentially be seen as his replacement. Sean McVay didn't worry about that. He just wanted to have the best people 
around him. So, I mean, exploring the dynamic and right. relationship between different coaches on the same staffs. So I, I just think it'll be really interesting. So I, I'm actually looking at the Mike Shanahan tree right now. So if Shanahan is the trunk, right, there's uh, I'm going to name you the guys who have been head coaches. So Anthony Lynn was one of his assistants, and he was obviously a head coach mm-hmm. of the Chargers. Art Shell was once an assistant of Mike Shanahan with the Raiders, remember? Oh, oh, yes. Yeah. So Art Shell, then Mark Tressman, who was also a, a coach at one point with the Bears. Bill Callahan, who went to the Super Bowl and lost to John Gruden uh, when Key won the Super Bowl, was also is is the Art Shell portion of the tree. Those are two guys. Then Gary Kubiak, obviously, was his coordinator for a long time. And Kevin Stefanski, Lindsey's guy, at Cleveland. Wait, wait. He's not my guy, okay? <laughs> he's your coach. He's my coach, but he's not my guy. All right. He's not your guy. Let's just be straight about that. All right. That. So anyway, he's part, technically part of the Shanahan tree through Kubiak. Then there's obviously McVay, and then you have Zach Taylor, um, who and uh, the kid now O'Connell, right, in uh, Minnesota. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So he they're part of the tree. Then you have Kyle, obviously. Kyle has Robert Sala, Mike McDaniel. Um, and Mike LaFleur, who is now the offensive coordinator of the Rams, Mike LaFleur. And then Matt LaFleur was with Shanahan, and he had Nathaniel Hackett, which is uh, part of maybe one of those parts of the tree that isn't so strong. Let's just Well, you know what's funny, too, is you're naming these guys, and so many of them have had fathers in the league, Mm -hmm. brothers in the league. Well, Nathaniel, obviously, right. Right, and it speaks to some of the issues. Or grandfathers in the case of of McVay. Right, Right. and it speaks to the reason why a lot of coaches or people in the league who don't have those sorts of connections can have a really difficult time advancing. Like, you know, like as great as Sean McVay is, and clearly talented as he was and smart and confident and all that stuff, there's no question being named McVeigh gave him a massive, massive advantage oh, no question. to get started. Right, to get in with Gruden and Tampa yeah, or whatever. Absolutely. Yeah, and, sure. and again, Sean McVeigh's really, really good at right. what he does. Yeah. Both things can be true at the same time. Yes, as I like to say, two things can be true at once. Yeah. So, um, so there's that. And then the other cool story in the NFL was Tua, and this story was done by... Um, um, someone at ESPN. I want to make sure I get the person right. Hold on. I hate when I don't have the... Uh, I, I know that he's the Dolphins. Marcel Louis-Jacques. I wanted to make sure I had that right. Okay. Marcel Louis-Jacques did a story, and I retweeted it, about Tua um, taking on jiu-jitsu this season. Now, he's also put on 10 pounds of muscle, which he needed. He's kind of a... Yes, he He does. was kind of a small guy. Um, but he's, he was thick, but, but now he's just... He's kind of tightened up. Uh, but he's doing jujitsu to learn how to fall, which, you know, look, I did martial arts for 20 something years. This is a really smart move, okay? Because learning to fall will save you from injuries in ways you could never imagine. Unless you've been, like, you've, you've probably been involved either in gymnastics or martial arts or something where you have to tumble or fall uh, a lot. You don't really understand the gravity of literally and figuratively (laughs) of what transpires when you hit the ground. So knowing how to fall in a way where you can mitigate the potential of injury is incredibly important. Okay, this might be too hyper-specific a question, but I'll ask anyway just because I know you follow Miami sports. Have you ever seen to a fall where you're thinking like, ooh, there's a better way to fall? Oh my God, yes. Okay. Yeah, like he just like... 
becomes like, so, okay, what are the name of those, like, um, you know those little things you see on the corner, like those little air people? Oh, yeah, like they're in front of the used car lot. Right. Like the, the inflatables? The inflatable yes, the people. Inflatables, like yeah. the inflatable people? Yeah. If you disinflated that and he just collapses, <laughs> that's how Tua, when Tua, somebody grabs Tua and tries to slam him to the ground, right. that's what he does. He's just like, ah! You know, like, whereas there's a way to break your fall and brace yourself. Um, there are multiple ways to do that, certainly. So doing jujitsu was whoever told him to do that, really smart move. Because I think it will help him, um, particularly because he, since he didn't know how to brace himself and break his fall with his arms or his forearms, um, not your wrist, clearly you don't want to do that because that can break very easily, but it's really your forearm, okay, yeah. um, that helps break your fall. Now, I get, you know, maybe the shoulder could come out, but nonetheless, it it's worse it's no, better look, than your I, brain. I played high school football, yeah. and it's I, tried, than your brain I tried to break a fall with my wrist, and I snapped my right wrist. Yeah, so I, you, you got to hit forearms. Yeah, it's I mean, finger to, to elbow. There's absolutely okay? a wrong way to do yeah. it. But to your point, two of nothing else has to figure out how do I fall where it involves my head less. Right. Because he keeps having these concussions. Correct. Correct. So um, that obviously, and look, the one in Cincinnati was brutal, as we all saw on Thursday Night Football. So, um. Yeah, so I, I just think this is really smart. It's really, whoever gave them this advice deserves a lot of credit. I don't know who on his team, his agent or whoever, maybe someone in his friends, family, whatever. This was really smart because if he wants, his problem is not the quarterbacking part of it. It's that his frame is small and because of that and because of not knowing how to fall, he was more prone to hitting the ground in certain ways that would concuss him and injure him. Well, I mean, look, any way he can figure out how to get a better handle on this is really important because he can he can only handle a few more concussions before he's oh, going to be out of the league. Totally agree. And, you, you know, you don't want to see that. It seems for all intents and purposes like a really nice kid that it's e he's easy to root for, you know. Uh, he's already come back from the Bo Jackson injury, which we'd never seen anybody do, you know. And he was like a top three like QB rating quarterback last year. Last season, he actually was really good. Yeah. He was very good. I mean, very he's good. got incredible weapons, don't get me wrong, but, you know, somebody's got to get him the ball, you know? So there's that. So I, I, you know, I hope that everything will work out for him, but I did think the story was cool. All right. Coming up next, big deal or no deal? Not award winning like Radio Tinder, but still pretty damn good. That's Yuck. next. We all know breakfast is an important part of your day, but sometimes when you're traveling for business, you end up staying at a hotel that doesn't offer any. You know what happens? You grab a cup of coffee and skip the meal entirely. We've all been there. But if you book a room at La Quinta by Wyndham, you can enjoy their free bright side breakfast featuring delicious baked goods, fruit, eggs, yogurt, and waffles. And really, who doesn't want to start their day with a fresh, hot waffle? Tonight, La Quinta, tomorrow you shine. Book direct at LQ.com. Thanks, Christopher. All right, Lindsay, you take it away. Thanks, Sedano. All right, so I got some sports and some non-sports in here, but this one I thought was right. interesting. LSU's Brian Kelly is the latest coach to give his thoughts on the current state of NIL, which is the name, image, and likeness situation where basically college players are allowed to be paid. Um, he recently told ESPN, quote, college athletics is at a crossroads if this doesn't get fixed. Last month... Kelly was among a group of influential college presidents, commissioners, and coaches that traveled to Washington, D.C. to lobby for federal NIL regulation. Alabama's Nick Saban and Georgia's Kirby Smart also support federal intervention on NIL. Is this a big deal or no deal, George? It's a big deal, and it's also a bunch of bull bleep, okay? Because 
Wait a second. So why do we need guardrails? So do we need guardrails for coaches' salaries too? Because then I, I, if that if we're to do that, if it's good for the goose, it's good for the gander. You know what I mean? Like, wow, I haven't said that in a long time. <laughs> but the the reality is the the coaches you named, Brian Kelly, Nick Saban, Kirby Smart, what do they have in common? They are all coaches of successful college Well, they're also programs. very wealthy men used to being in control of everything. Yeah. And all in the SEC, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. You know what they're terrified of? Do you know the schools that are making the, the biggest imprints right now on NIL? And remember, I predicted this years ago. USC and Miami. LA and Miami. You think the last thing the SEC wants to see is kids going, oh, yeah, I'd much rather live in Miami or, or LA than Tusca freaking Lusa or Athens, Georgia or Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Like, come on. Of course, those guys don't, they want guardrails on a nail because in a month, in two major metropolises or metropoli, metropoli, perhaps, you have a much wider net. To be able to get big NIL deals than you do at the University of Alabama or Georgia or LSU. So it disrupts their current stranglehold on the sport. Yeah, this is about maintaining their control. But this is also about keeping the playing field unlevel in their favor. Like there's never been such a thing as a level playing field in college sports. Because not every university gets the same amount of funding. Not every single one has the same amount of boosters. All that stuff. Like, the playing field has never been level. But with NIL, you all of a sudden have athletes who have more power than they used to and have more ability to choose their places. But as you mentioned, locales like Miami, Southern California, anywhere that would be desirable just in and of itself. Austin, Texas. Texas is another one that's big on NIL right now. They start gaining advantages that otherwise were completely hoarded by the SEC. Right. Some of these other powerhouses that, again, left on their own. They need these advantages because, to George's point, nobody lives in Tuscaloosa by choice. Like, there's there's literally nobody. You go there because Nick Saban puts six guys in the first round every year. Or because... And there's other reasons. Yeah, other reasons. But nobody says, you know what? I am going to plant my flag in Tuscaloosa because I got a lot of options and that's where I want to go. Right. Nobody. Not a single person on the planet. So, I think it's all a bunch of bull bleep, personally. What's next? All right, so Carson Wentz is facing significant backlash following his recent hunting expedition in Alaska where he hunted and killed a black bear. The NFL quarterback who, I guess, I don't know, he's current or not because he's a free agent, uh, he shared several images from his hunting experience on Instagram revealing that he used a crossbow to take down the animal. Wentz's Instagram post in which he referred to the black bear hunt as a bucket list item sparked a lot of outrage from people on social media and they criticize his decision to kill the bear for sport. Do you think this is a big deal or no deal? Andy? I'll say big deal. I don't like hunting for sport. Like, just the idea of killing an animal so you can either display it or not display it, I guess, just killing it for the sake of doing it. Like, you know, I'm not a vegetarian. You know, I know how literally and figuratively the sausage is made. So I'm not against hunting if you're going to eat the animal if you do it in a way that is, I guess, in some ways noble towards the animal or like respectful in some way, to me, killing just for the sake of killing is disrespectful to the animals. And I just, 
I find it really unappealing. I don't like yeah, it. Yeah, I'm not a hunter, so, I mean, it, it's not my thing either. No, like, but I mean, like, my wife's family, they're like, they're Texans, they're all hunters. Texas. Yeah. They, oh, quite Texas. They are as Texas as they come. I'm not, <laughs> it's a whole other thing, but uh, <laughs> I am, and a whole lot of guns over there in the, them family houses. Yeah. I am not against hunting, but not all hunting to me is created equally. I don't like that. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, I would echo those sentiments. What's next? All right, there's been a lot of talk about maritime travel in the news this week, mm-hmm. but on the complete opposite end of the spectrum of that nightmare story, I found this one. One man somehow found himself as the only guest on an entire commercial cruise ship, and he posted videos about his experience on TikTok. In one of his posts, the TikToker said, they have a movie playing just for me, all the shows are still going, the pools are open, it's literally just me here. I feel like that's kind of a big deal and want to know if you guys would want to be the only passenger on a whole cruise ship. No, it seems boring. I don't know. I don't know. I feel like I would like it. I was going to say. Maybe for like a day, but that's about it. We'll say like a three-day cruise. No, that's too long to be alone. Well, you have the workers Yeah, you do have all the workers that you can. Yeah, but I don't know. You know what? If if it's just you and the workers, you'd be so self-conscious. Like anytime you ask them to do anything that would normally be their job, I would feel like such a jerk. Why? Like, you paid because for it. because at that point, literally this entire ship is just waiting on me. They like that's just it. that's too self conscious for me. But I feel like that wouldn't be bad because obviously there's like XYZ's are a bunch of servers because they're supposed to have a lot of people. So it's not like you're going to the same person all the time. I, I just you wouldn't be doing anything wrong. Like, I guess this is just the way your cruise ship ended up. But that just feels weird. Oh, my, my daughter right now is signaling she'd love this. She, <laughs> oh, no, you don't want it. No, okay, no. you don't want it. All right, she's with yeah. me. Yeah, yeah it's it, just a little weird. How yeah. did that happen? I don't know if they said that in the story, but that's interesting. Yeah, some, some kind of glitch with the scheduling and COVID and all that kind of stuff. That hmm. would be strange. Yeah. I'm not a big cruise guy anyway. I've never done a cruise. It's... uh. It's like a human petri dish. No, no gracias. <laughs> yeah, no, no thanks. So, uh, is that it? Yep, that's it for big deal or no deal. All right. Well, this is interesting. Um, this popped up in the circle of trust. I always like when the circle of trust helps produce the show. Um, Howard Beck, our friend, covered yeah. the NBA for a very long time. Worked here in LA at one point, covering the Shaq and Kobe Lakers. He was just on the Lockdown Lakers podcast. There you last go. Week. And by the way, you can find the Lockdown Lakers. Anywhere podcast. you get your podcasts, George, they're never behind YouTube a paywall. Too, right? There is. Yeah, I'm think, saying, there yeah. is actually a YouTube component. There you go. Funny you mention it. There you go. Uh, so he said uh, on a recent podcast, not yours. He says I was hearing things that suggested Paul George was in play because we've heard obviously some rumors about Paul George. And everything since then has validated that. I think Paul George Paul, Paul George is certainly available. Okay. Um, so in this, I, I don't know, this tweet has four teams. I don't know if these are the four teams that he may have mentioned, I guess. Um, they've got the Kings, the Bucks. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. They would go with, yeah. Um, maybe sign and trade Middleton, I guess. Um, Miami and New York, the Knicks. Now, I would imagine Miami if Dame fell through, which seems weird now since he's playing. He's in France, uh, playing "Welcome to Miami" at some 
party he's having in France. Yeah. Uh, seem to be, uh, you know, giving people ideas that he may be heading that direction. But I guess if that does fall through, he would make Paul George could make some sense there, too. But um, the Kings would be interesting because they have um, if they renounce Harrison Barnes, they're going to have money. Like $30 million and like th- I think it's $37 million? Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so they could potentially make something like that work. The thing is, too, with Paul George, like yeah. I know the injury risk is always there. He was unavailable for the Clippers the, when they got taken out in the first round yeah. by the Suns. And Paul George rubs a lot of Laker fans the wrong way. Yeah, yeah. He is yeah. a constant target of mockery. He's a really good player. He's still a really good player. When he's healthy, Paul George is a hell of a player you know what's funny but because there had been these rumors about paul george i was actually thinking about him to portland like if you're trying to keep damian lillard happy in portland right why don't you go get paul george yeah simons and i don't know maybe chris murray something else to fill out the salaries and but then- I, I think the problem is I would imagine they would want the Clippers would want a more ready player than it, than Simons and and Chris Murray. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas like the Kings could offer Harrison potentially, right? They could do a sign and trade with Harrison. Um, the Miami could do Hero right as a player who's been he's four years in the league. You know, he's been to well one Finals, two he didn't play in the last one. But um, Milwaukee has Chris Middleton that they could offer, and the Knicks have Randall. You know what I mean? So yeah. like those uh, those four teams have players that can help the Clippers try to win now. I mean, look, the Clippers at this point, Portland does not. Yeah, at this point, the Clippers have to realize the way this is set up is not going to work. It's not sustainable. No, it just isn't. And look, it may not be sustainable keeping Kawhi either. Right. But if you're going to if keep you're one keep, of them, you have to you have to break them up. Yeah. Otherwise, you you've seen too much evidence. Yeah. How this movie is going to end. Right. There is some duplication there with the two of them as well. Yeah. I think that's part of it, too. That would that would be interesting. All four of those teams that were in this, you know, the Kings, the Bucks, Heat, Knicks, that would be interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Knicks, to me, would be fascinating. Although, does he want to deal with the New York media? I don't know. I mean... He, look, Paul George is putting himself out there. He's got this podcast that, by the way, is getting... It's it's rave reviews. He's getting guys to say all sorts of stuff on that podcast. And also, too, bleep ton of yeah. downloads. Yeah. His podcast is doing... I, yeah. I've seen... Podcast P. Podcast P. Yeah. It does really well. Yeah. So... He's got a future. He does have a future. All, by the way, all of these guys... Yeah. It's so funny now. Like, they all... I, I just saw, like, Joel Embiid now has some media company that I think has projects that he's going to be doing yeah. with uh, Uninterrupted, and I think I think one with Meadowlark, yeah. you know, Dan Levitard's company. Yeah. Like, all of these guys now yeah. have, like, their next career mm-hmm. going simultaneously with their actual career. It's smart. Yeah. I mean, look at Draymond. He's got a TNT gig. <laughs> it's, it's just, and he's it's, still playing. It's just CJ McCollum here at, at ESPN. Oh, yeah. You all, know? All, so many of these. Like, Patrick Beverly. Right. Like, yeah. like even guys who aren't stars have their podcasts that do well. And well, like I, I'll say this. Just because you are a star doesn't mean you're going to be great in media, though. No, not at all. I mean, you know, there's numerous examples of that. I don't have to go into any detail without trying to besmirch somebody <laughs> or anyone in that particular case. But like J.J. Redick was a very good player in the NBA. 15 years. He's one of the best shooters we've ever seen. But 
You know, he wasn't a superstar. Yeah, Richard Jefferson's very good. He right. wasn't a superstar. Right, right. You He's know. really good. Yeah. So you don't have to be a superstar to be great in the media. No, but you might need to be a superstar at least a while back to have the opportunity right. for something like this. Barkley and Shaq, right? Yeah. Like that. Although Kenny, you know, Kenny's another one of those guys. True. But there were less Kennys. There were way less Kennys. Yeah, back then, for sure. Uh, all right, coming up next, Dealer's Choice, Andy Kamenetsky edition. How about that? I'm looking forward to this. All right. This is all you. All right. We got one more segment to go before we head into the weekend. 710 ESPN. Oh, wow. Duran Duran. By the way, you heard Pepe Mantilla's voice there. He did text me back later when we were talking about Michael. He says, MT is not from this world. That's a big reason to be afraid. But I don't fear him. I grew up in Mexico. What else can I say? LOL. It's a fair point. He is again, Michael, one of one. Truly. Now, did you pick Duran Duran for a reason? Yes, reflex. Uh, it's on this day. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't check that. It's okay. Uh, what is this day? Oh, 1984. I was not born. Seven-year-old me. 1984? Actually, six-year-old me at 1984 at this, this time. This song feels like it was later than 84. Wow. Don't you lose it. Um, great old. song. Duran Duran, great band. Um, had a renaissance in the 90s, if you recall. Ordinary the, World. Yeah, in the late 90s. Uh, are a great band to see in concert. They still sing all these great hits, you know, and then the 90s hits. I've never seen them before. Excellent. Excellent. Um, I actually, I would love, like that whole era of Duran Duran, Pet Shop Boys, Depeche Mode, like those three, if they ever performed in one venue, I would absolutely go to watch for sure. I mean, I've seen Depeche Mode a million times, but um, but if I could see all three of them together and just get that whole era in one concert, it would be phenomenal. I'll tell you what's really fun. My my daughter, who's again is here right now, she she came with me to the show today. Yeah, she's really into music, and her taste, like mine, is really eclectic. But she's discovered a lot through her own. Uh, stuff that I grew up listening to and mm-hmm. seeing her love this stuff and find the same things about it that I really loved finding these bands it, it's really really fun like I'm as, as your kids get older this may be something George that you see with them yeah that's just really really fun it's enjoyable oh yeah I don't think there's any question I think that like my nine-year-old is starting to ask questions about songs because like for example um what's the song um God from Stevie Nicks, uh, it's in all those car commercials. Uh, oh, oh, uh, want to be with you, you everywhere. Yeah, um, yeah. So that song has an EDM version of it, which is this version you're, what you're hearing on those on those commercials. Um, so my daughter asked me, she's like, well, how old is that song? And I'm like, that song is older than when even daddy was born. She's like, really? Like, So yes, yeah, so those conversations yeah, happen it, organically. It's, yeah. it's super fun. Yeah. And, and like, they discover a lot of this through TikTok. Right. And like they'll see these memes or these videos that make use of different songs and stuff yeah. like that. It's, it's really awesome. I feel like we had like a stretch where there was a lot of um, Stevie Nicks songs on commercials, yes. right? Oh, yeah. Stevie Nicks. Yeah. So I, I feel like 
there was some of that. You know what I mean? I like, think that when we were younger, like to your point, Andy, because my nephew's 12, he's doing the same thing. He wanted a record player for Christmas. So that's what my... My daughter wants a record player. We yeah. were just talking about so this. So we got him a record player. My sister and I and her husband went on a really, really nice one. I He wanted like... The Misfits, Pink Floyd, Nirvana, and he's 12. And I was like, that's awesome because I remember being that age. And it's like, if you like this kind of music, you were a poser. And if you like this kind of music, you were this and you were that and you were a sellout. And everyone was so judgmental. And now everyone's like, oh, man, like whatever you listen to, it's cool. Like listen to whatever you want. One of the uh, benefits, and there's not many because there's not even a direct flight to Milwaukee. Okay. (laughs) When I go there to do games is... um, the hotel we generally stay at is an arts hotel and each room has a record player in it and the lobby oh, that's cool. has that a ton cool. of vinyl that you can go there and pick from and bring to your room um it is pretty cool there's no doubt um it's we either stay there or the haunted hotel but i prefer that one <laughs> than the haunted hotel for obvious reasons so yeah, she just texted me. I want no doubt, Prince, the police, the Ramones. Nice. Yep. Police, man. Yeah. I saw them in concert. You want to know where I saw them oh. in concert? What happened? When they were on the Synchronicity Tour, mm-hmm. I was like, I don't know, 10, 11, something like that. I had, I had like a soft opportunity to go, and I didn't cash in on it. And I was kind of bummed about it at the time, but my thought was, you know what? I'll catch the next tour. They broke up after Synchronicity. So they had a reunion tour in 2007. Right. I remember and that. And that's where I saw them. So um, my wife and I, we probably saw them in 2000, because it was like 2007, 2008, right? So we saw them in, I want to say 2008, in Chicago. Okay. Ooh. We happened to be in Chicago for a weekend, one of the great world's greatest summer cities, okay? Yes. And we got there, and I was like, I was like, oh, let's go see a Cubs game. And I went and I was like, oh, the Cubs aren't in town. I said, oh, but the police are playing at Wrigley. That's awesome. And I was like, let's. You saw them at Wrigley. Yeah. So I said, let's buy. So I went on StubHub and I bought the tickets. I bought floor seats at Wrigley. And you'll never guess who was sitting next to us and looked like he was having a really good time. Rex Grossman. Now, remember, this is post- Sexy Rexy. Yeah, Sexy Rexy was the quarterback of the Bears in 2007, 2008 in that time. And uh, he was sitting right next to us, and he was with shades on, having a good old time. Now Sexy Rexy. Yeah, I've never seen a concert at Wrigley, but I did see the Grateful Dead at Soldier Field. So the only concert they had had previous to that was Jimmy Buffett. Oh, wow. So it was the second only concert ever at Wrigley Field. And it was super wild, because if you've ever been to Wrigley Field... Um, First of all, it's incredibly quaint and all the history mm-hmm. and all yeah. that stuff. But the uh, as you know, when you're watching the games there, the rooftops of the buildings, people are seated there mm-hmm. and watching the games from there. So it was the same thing for the concert. So it was one of the most memorable concerts I ever went to because it's not only the people in the stadium, but literally the surrounding yeah. buildings are watching the concert can, with you. It can be like that when you see shows at the Hollywood Bowl or, yeah, the, yeah, or yeah, at the sure. Greek. Yeah. The Greek, yeah. Thing, yeah. the Greek, yes. But um, I just thought because of the magnitude oh, yeah. of Wrigley compared to the Hollywood Bowl oh, yeah. or the no, Greek, that's amazing. it's such a bigger venue, right? Like it's So instead of the 38,000 or whatever that are in the stadium or 40,000 in the stadium, you probably have to add at least another couple thousand that are watching on yeah, the, that's on, awesome. in the buildings. That's awesome. Yeah. that's really cool that you got to do that yeah but yeah the synchronicity tour if i'd worked harder i could have gone but my attitude at the time was i'll just see the next one and then they broke up yeah Yeah. they broke up um do you have a dealer's choice because we're going to be done here in about three and a half minutes or so yeah actually no you got four and a half minutes okay uh 
uh, going to give Lindsay credit. She sent this one to us. There was a man named James Loveless who recently passed away, Kentucky man, and his obituary that was written by, I think, one of his sons is absolutely hilarious. It's basically like an obituary in the form of a roast. I read like a little part of it yesterday. I'm going to read just parts of it. Born and raised in Kentucky in 1963, a state that is recently leaning more towards liberal values, we might add. Jamie, a divorcee, father and grandfather and proud owner of a few lots in the trailer park, had had enough and up and died on us on June 14th in order to avoid another presidential stolen election mishap in the near future. <laughs> um, listing some of the things that Jamie loved more than anything. In the, he said he loved his family more than anything in the world, except ice cold bush, room temperature bush, T-bones, New York strip, prime rib, shrimp, swimming, poker, hatchback, Mustang, GTs, tank tops, Kentucky men's basketball, and his personal copy of Eddie Murphy Raw. Talked about how he was a ladies' man because the women loved his pasty white shins. Like, it's really, really funny. And just got me thinking, like, when I eventually pass, I hope at my funeral people remember to bring some degree of humor. Oh, I like, agree. Like a hundred percent. Like I, you know, I mean, these are things like I, my parents are getting up in age. Like you know, you unfortunately oh. have been through this, George, with your father. Like you, you think about these things. Yeah. Like what you're going to say. Yeah. And whenever I think about the things I, I'm going to say, I always go out of my way to think about what can I do that would be poignant but funny at the same time. A hundred percent. Because it's sad enough as it is. Yeah. Yeah, you want a little laughter. In yeah, the I mean, unless like the circumstances of the death are like truly tragic. Right. Like, but other than that, like this was just a reminder that you can you can make it funny even in the face of death. That might even be the better way to do oh, it. Oh, I agree. I think it's a better way to cope for sure. You'd um, be a good person to to deliver a, not even a eulogy, but like I remember when my aunt passed away, she it was a stroke she had very young and i remember being at the funeral when you know someone goes up and just a little casual speak and he told a few like jokes or antidotes that made people chuckle but obviously not in like a distasteful or negative way and afterwards i was like dad you're a really good speaker he's like well yeah i know i have been doing this for a long time <laughs> but you know to your point like it was he did it in a way that was funny and it was in that person's memory but in a, a like a funny little good way you know like a tribute yeah yeah of course you always want to if you can, to your point, if it's not some sort of tragic, like I've been to some really yes, tragic so funerals. Um, you know, I went to a funeral, man, even tough just thinking about it. Um, someone I knew um, who was like a friend, like he's, it was a, 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 not my friend, but a very close friend of one of my friends and their son um, oh, passed away. And it was, you know, a funeral for a child is always brutal. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was, that was tough. But like when my dad passed away to your point, I did, I, I kind of had some funny anecdotes about, you know, my dad being a hard ass or whatever, and people chuckled and laughed and yeah, you, just, you know, you, you can, you know, my dad had been sick for 14 years. This is, you know, right. we were expecting it at some point, you know what I mean? So I think that the circumstances certainly matter. Uh, by the way, speaking of circumstances, dead meow five, uh, on the sit down cap circle of trust says, let's not disrespect the, the great Christine McVie. She wrote and performed everywhere. Not Stevie. Okay. I thought it was a Stevie Nicks song. So right. It was Fleetwood Mac. She recently just left us. Christine McVie. Right. Yes. Really, really talented songwriter. Yeah. 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 So, uh, thank you for that correction. Yes. It was a Fleetwood Mac song. Um, not just a Stevie Nicks song. Yeah. Cause Stevie Nicks had a pretty successful solo career in her own right. Yeah. So it can be easy to mix them up. She, oh, by no the doubt. way, Stevie Nicks did some living. 
Oh yeah, like yeah. Have you ever seen? Boys, have you ever seen the HBO thing with uh, Dr. Dre and um, Yes, Jimmy Iovine. Jimmy Iovine. Yeah, yeah. I actually the defiant ones. Yeah, I inter- she's in there. Yeah. I interviewed the Albert Hughes, one of the Hughes brothers, the directors. Yeah, he was the one who directed and I think produced it. Yeah. I interviewed him for our old ESPN podcast. Lindsay, have you seen that? The Defiant Ones. I don't think it's a four-part so. really series. Good. You no, love documentaries. I'll Watch that it, this I'll weekend. Put it on there. On it's Max. Really good. Yeah, the Defiant ones. Dr. Dre, Jimmy Iovine. It's really a history of music. Basically. Yeah, it's it good. it's really good. Yeah. Uh, excellent work, Andy Thanks, Kamenetsky man. This was fun. and uh, little Lily Kamenetsky. Yes, little Thank Lily. you for hanging out with us, um, Lindsay and Laura. Great job. We'll talk to you Monday. See ya.